sermon from Garden City Methodist Church. We want to invite you to worship with us each Sunday at 10.30 a.m., either in person or online. You can come to our beautiful sanctuary at 62 Varnado Avenue, Garden City, Georgia, or you can worship with us online as we stream our services at GardenCityUMC.com. Our scripture this morning is in Matthew chapter 11, starting at verse 2. Last week we talked about how John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus, and today's kind of the, the sequel to that message. When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who's to come, or are we to wait for another? Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? Someone dressed in soft robes? Look, those who wear soft robes are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it was written. See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, no one has risen greater than John the Baptist. Yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John came. And if you are willing to accept it, he's Elijah who is to come. Let anyone with ears listen. But who will I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We wailed and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating or drinking. And they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking. And they say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Have you ever went to somebody and asked them for advice? You wanted to know what they thought you ought to do, and then they gave you the runaround? You say, what, what do you think I should do about my job? And they come back to you and say, well, what do you think you should do about your job? And it's like, I didn't come here and ask you this to hear you, for you to hear what I think. I want to know what you think. I asked you because I want to know what you think. And some people, maybe they just don't know what to tell you. Maybe they don't have any good advice for you and they're just trying to sound wise. Or maybe they think they, um, I don't know. Sometimes when I come to you for advice, I want to hear your advice. I don't want you to ask me a bunch of questions. And I think that if anybody ever deserved a straight answer from Jesus, it was probably John the Baptist. Right? John the Baptist lived this ministry, it says, where he was out in the desert wearing animal skins and eating locusts for his ministry, and those were during the good times. And then he called out Herod. Herod had him put in jail and ultimately beheaded for his ministry. He gave everything to proclaim the way of the Lord for Jesus. And now he's in his jail cell thinking... I sure hope all this was worth it. 
I sure hope all the bugs I ate were worth it and that this Jesus is the real deal. Because if he wasn't, then I'm in a heap of trouble for nothing. Maybe this is a lack of faith from John. Maybe he shouldn't have had these kind of doubts. But I think it was totally understandable. I think it was an utterly human and understandable thing for John to want to know that all of the sacrifices he made in his life were worth it. That his calling was legitimate. And Jesus doesn't seem to take an issue with it. Jesus doesn't berate John and his followers for wanting to make sure that Jesus is the real deal. But he also doesn't give them a very clear answer. You would expect that Jesus might say, Yeah, John, I'm the one you're waiting for. I'm the Messiah. Just between you and me, you're golden. You're good. Well done, good and faithful servant. But he doesn't. He comes back at him with this vague, well, report to him what you've seen. The deaf hear, the blind see, the dead are raised. And, like, he kind of hints that he's the one, but he doesn't come out and say it. Was Jesus just toying with John? Ah, we'll let him just figure it out. Maybe he'll, maybe he'll get it, and if he doesn't, that's all right. Did Jesus not trust John to keep his mouth shut? I don't know. But I think that Jesus knew something about this question that John was asking him. I think that Jesus knew that a straight answer to John's question of, are you the one we've been waiting for, was not going to make sense in light of everything that was about to happen. See, there was a huge paradigm shift that was about to happen in the world. A paradigm shift is defined as a fundamental change in approach or underlying assumptions. A, funda- a, a paradigm shift is where you can look at an event and say, there was a before this event and there was an after this event. And everything that we thought we knew before this event isn't quite true at the end of it. So if you're asking if Jesus is the one in, in, the, in the pre-cross time, then you might have some assumptions that are untrue if he said yes versus in the, the post-resurrection time. Think about it this way. Let's say that you lived uh, in the olden times before the, the invention of the automobile and you had the fastest wagon the fastest horses, and I asked you, can you get me to California quickly? You might say, yeah, I'm the fastest there is. I can get you to California as quick as I can. Now that, yes, is very different than the question of after, let's say, airplanes were invented, right? Now if I said, can you get me to to California fast? And you said, well, yeah, I can get you to California fast. It'll only take me a month or two. That's not, that's not the same. That our, our whole concept of fast transportation has changed because there was this huge paradigm shift in the 20th century where at the beginning of the 20th century you were talking about a month long and by the end of the 20th century you could get to the California in a matter of hours. There was a paradigm shift that happened in, in technology and transportation to where a yes answer to can I get you to California fast meant two radically different things if you asked it in 
1901 versus 1999, right? This is the kind of paradigm shift that happened when Jesus went to the cross and rose again. If you had asked Jesus, are you the one we're waiting for? And he had said, yep, I'm the one you're waiting for. There were a whole host of assumptions that they probably would have made. That Jesus is a great prophet or Jesus is going to bring them political freedom from Rome. Jesus is going to be the one that, that rallies the people around him, has God on his side like a, like a, like a Moses or a David. And, and God's going to do great miracles and free them from those people. They're probably thinking revolution at that point. And so if Jesus has said, yeah, I'm the one you're waiting for, that answer would have communicated the truth, but their minds in this old paradigm would not have believed the right things about that truth. Because that stuff is not what Jesus was about. So I think Jesus' roundabout answer to John was actually more truthful then the straight answer of yes would have been because Jesus knew that all the assumptions that they're making about the Messiah aren't accurate because a paradigm shift is coming in which we're going to think about freedom and sin and, and covenant with God in a whole new way. Jesus was about to transition the world from an old covenant way of thinking to a new covenant way of thinking. And he was hinting to John about what that covenant was going to be like in his answer. Think about this. He's talking about the blind being able to see, the lame being able to walk, the dead being able to live again. The blind seeing. Now, that's a major paradigm shift. If you go out for your whole life being blind from birth, and then all of a sudden you can see, that's a whole different way that you perceive the world, right? If I asked you to describe these poinsettias to me and you were a blind person, you might tell me how they feel, how they weigh. You might could make out the shape with your hands, but you wouldn't have any reference point for what the color red was. It would be meaningless to you, except as a descriptor that other people tell you you're blind from birth and then you are able to see a whole new color opens up and red becomes something that you understand firsthand. Jesus is communicating the truth that he was about to shift people's whole way of thinking, their whole paradigm of how they thought about salvation, how they thought about Old Testament prophecy, what they believed about the Messiah was about to change. It was Jesus' way of saying, yes, I'm the one you're waiting for, but I'm not going to come in the way you think. It's going to be better than the way you think. So then he goes on to explain this paradigm shift to John's followers in the nearby area. He's saying, you know, John wasn't just out there whistling Dixie in the desert. You went out there because you saw a prophet. You didn't just go for fun. You weren't just taking a hike out in the desert looking at the lack of wildlife. You were there to see someone. And that someone was John, and he was the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. The greatest of these Old Covenant-style prophets. He was up there with Elijah. 
in, in the terms, in the, in the status, the hall of fame of old covenant prophets. But then he kind of flips it up and says, even though John was the greatest of these old school prophets, the least in the kingdom of heaven is going to be greater than him. Now that's pretty wild, right? The least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than the greatest Old Testament prophet. A few years ago, I used to watch this uh, sitcom on TV. Maybe you've seen it too. Parks and Recreation. Are you all familiar with that? There's this one character named Chris who was a, a health nut, and he was a vegetarian. And a character named Ron who was the opposite of a health nut and pretty much a carnivore. And they had this bet one time to see who could make the better burger. And Chris made the best, most carefully crafted veggie burger he could. He put all these herbs and seasonings, and he'd perfected this burger over years. And he topped it with all the best toppings. And so he had his offering for the contest. And they had an office tasting party to where they would taste both of these burgers. So Chris had, had this finely tuned, well-crafted veggie burger. And then Ron just went out and got some cheap ground beef, put it in a patty, stuck it on a grill, and stuck it between two slices of bread. So when the tasting came, they all said, they all tasted Chris's burger first, and they said, oh, this is pretty good, you know? Yeah, this is all right. And then they tasted Ron's burger, and they said, oh, no, this is better. <laughs> because the worst beef hamburger is better than the best veggie burger. I'm sorry. <laughs> This is a hill I'm going to die on. It just is. And you can go for veggie burgers for health reasons. I'm not mad at you if you do. But if you're talking about flavor, you cannot beat the beef. That's kind of what Jesus is saying here. The best of these Old Testament prophets is better than, than the worst Christian <laughs> Or the, the, the worst Christian is better than the best of these Old Testament prophets. The best covered wagon is slower than the worst airplane. I guess unless it crashes. <laughs> that could go either way. Because there was a paradigm shift that happened. They went from having an Old Testament covenant based on law, based on sacrifice of animals to a new covenant relationship based on the sacrifice of Jesus and a personal relationship with God and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And the most backslidden Christian who has the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is better off than the prophet who li lives out in the desert and eats locusts and dedicates his whole being to God. How wild is that? How wild is that, that us, we have this privilege of being in this New Testament era with access to the Holy Spirit in a way that makes us better off than John the Baptist spiritually, each and every one of us. That's crazy for me to think about. There's another thing about this metaphor that Jesus gave John that, that, that I think is, is enlightening to us. You see, most blind people still have eyes, right? They just aren't functioning right. Most lame people still have legs. They just aren't functioning right. Dead people still have bodies. They just don't work. But 
when Jesus makes the blind see, God, he, he brings those things that aren't work into their, their full potential. He takes these, these eyes that, that aren't working up to their full potential and brings them back to their full potential. When, when Jesus makes the lame walk, he takes these legs that aren't operating at full potential and makes them operate up to their full potential. He may brings the dead to life. He takes this body that's, to say the least, not working up to its full potential and, and brings it to its full potential. He makes things work the way they're supposed to work. And I think that Jesus was saying that he was coming to do to the human spirit what he had already done many times over to the human body. He healed the human body, took these things that weren't working and brought them to their full potential. And that's what he was going to do to the human spirit. He was going to shift the paradigm to where the human spirit, which was there, was existing. God was working through people all throughout creation, all throughout history. And he was going to make it, bring it to its full potential in Christ. The least in the kingdom who responds to the gospel and receives the Holy Spirit are better off spiritually than the greatest Old Testament miracle workers there were. A paradigm shift was coming so that even the one who was sent to prepare the world for Jesus was not prepared for what God was about to do in the world because he just couldn't see it yet because the shift hadn't happened. So what does that mean for us? on our side of the paradigm shift. We're, we're 2,000 years on the back end of this paradigm shift, but it still happened. I feel like a lot of times we, we've got our hands tied behind our back. It's like we're, we're people who used to be blind and received our sight and got uncomfortable by all the colors, and so we put a blindfold on. And we're, we're not living up to our full potential still, but it's not because our eyes don't work. It's because we've got them closed. It's because we're asleep. I know most of the time, I don't feel like I'm spiritually better off than Elijah or, or John the Baptist. I wish I could have a, a fraction of the faith of those guys. And yet Jesus says that I ought to be better off than them. Why is that? It's because I don't want to have to go through that stuff. I don't want to eat locusts. I don't want to, you know, I don't, I don't have the dedication to that. So I'm not, I'm not, even though Christ has given, brought me back up to my potential, I'm not putting in my part of it to live up to that potential. So my question is, Jesus brought this paradigm shift in the world between the old covenant and the new covenant that put us in a position to succeed spiritually. So what paradigm shift do I need to make in my life for me to start living as if I'm better off than the prophets were? What kind of, what do I need to do about the assumptions that I make in my life to fundamentally change them so I can live into this new reality? Maybe I need to make the shift from believing that I can't to believing that I can I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so, so often, I hedge my bets. <laughs> you know, I, I, I say, well, it would be, certainly would be nice if I could do this, but I don't want to be disappointed. And if God doesn't show up, then I don't want to be disappointed. 
Maybe I need to make a, a, a paradigm shift where I start believing in God's promises again. Maybe I need to make the paradigm shift that goes from going through the motions to engaging my faith with sincerity. So often, especially around Christmas time, we can find ourselves going through the motions, can't we? We come to church, we go through the liturgy, we do the same thing we did last year, but we don't engage with our minds and with our spirits the meaning of the season. Maybe we need to go through a paradigm shift where we stop going through the motions and start getting sincere. Maybe we need a paradigm shift from, from empty religiosity to life in the Spirit, where we invite the Spirit in to do what the Spirit's going to do, even if it disrupts our orderly life and our orderly worship and our orderly religiosity. Maybe my paradigm shift needs to be a paradigm from a paradigm of distraction where I just assume that my mind is going to go any other way wherever I get pulled to a life of prayer and focus and dedication. Maybe that's the shift that I need to live into my potential. But I know that Advent is a wonderful time for introspection. Advent is a great time for me to look at what's going on inside of myself and see what shift I need to make in the way I'm living for me to live into the shift that God already made by sending his son to die on the cross and rise again so that I could be free from sin. Jesus made the shift. We're 2,000 years on the other side of it. So if we're not living into the full potential of our spirituality, it's because there's a shift that we need to make. God didn't move. We're the ones that moved. So let's shift back this Advent to engage in our spiritual lives with sincerity. Not just go through the motions, but really worship so that we can live up to our potential as greater than the ones who came before because of what the Holy Spirit's doing in our lives. Let's pray. Jesus, we know that you were the one that John was waiting for. And even though he couldn't understand it, even though that shift was about to happen, there's no way he could have predicted. You were out there making the blind see and the lame walk and the dead live, preaching the good news to the poor and those that were overlooked. And you were out there doing it as a way to prepare them for this paradigm shift that was about to happen in which freedom would come through repentance and sacrifice. And so God, give us the courage to do what we need to do this morning, to shift what we need to shift, to change whatever assumptions we need to change so that we can live our potential as followers of Christ. Give us grace, Father, along the way as we stumble our way through this. In your name I pray, amen.